Hi, welcome to the Trauma Thrivers podcast. Delighted to have you with us. I'm Lula Bentz, your host, a psychotherapist, a trauma expert, and a survivor myself. Lovely to have you with us. The Trauma Thrivers podcast is for anybody who has been through any sort of developmental trauma or who has complex PTSD. This podcast aims to help educate, inspire and support those of us that are on a trauma healing journey. We've got stories, steps and various solutions to trauma to help you heal. If you'd like more information or tips or tools or strategies, please go to traumathrivers.com. You can also find this podcast on my YouTube channel, Lula Bent's Trauma Thrivers. If you'd like to join our community of thrivers, please find us on Facebook under Trauma Thrivers. Hello, Trauma Thrivers. Uh, welcome, welcome. Lovely to be back. I know that we haven't been here for a while on a Thursday evening, so I hope some of you are joining us live. And if you're not, please do watch it afterwards because I'm really grateful, honoured and touched to have a very dear friend with us this evening who I was trying to work out, Fred, how long it is that we've known each other for the other day. Mm. I was wondering whether you might remember. I think it's probably about 12 years is my guess. Is it? I thought it might be slightly longer ago than that even. Well, I suppose it could be a little bit longer than that. I mean, I think I started working at the Priory and joined when you were already there. Yes, uh, you did. About, in about 2000 and, what, eight or something? Yeah, so it felt to me about 2008 because... Yeah, so that's about 15 years, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, th- I was going to say it's about 15 years. So for those mm. of you tuning in, Freddie and I have known each other for 15 years. And I was delighted to work with you at the Priory. I know it sounds funny, but it was always a joy to go in when you were there. Um, and we just didn't get enough time together, I didn't feel. I don't know who left first, but... I seem to remember that you might have gone off first, but before we go into that, I wonder whether you'd mind just saying a bit about who you are and your background and how you got into the Priory in the first place and how we ended up working together. Yes, thanks, Lee. Um, Well, firstly, it is uh, so lovely to be here. I feel very honoured to have been asked and... um, really enjoying getting to catch up with you <laughs> finally um, we got there we're yeah. doing it yeah. so that's yeah. great and um um well i'm a uh integrative counselor um i i sort of came into the therapy world through um the addiction masters which i which i did which and a lot of our colleagues did at the time yeah and, and of course that came out of my own sort of recovery history and um, you know, my own healing crisis, which happened quite early on for me in my 
How Joe. old were you, Fred? Do you mind me? I'm trying to remember. I know that I I did know a bit of your story, but mm. unfortunately, after 15 years, sometimes it it I need to be a bit reminded. Maybe it's because we hear quite a lot of stories, so it's at the retention of them. Yeah, I sure do. So, so yeah, I um I I suppose about the age of 19 or so, I sort of you know my health failed and um and I kind of ended up leaving university and just being kind of um very very physically ill for for a few years and <clears throat> not really knowing what was going on and eventually through many 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 <laughs> uh serendipitous things and you know, effortful things and after a lot of pain realizing that I had an eating disorder realizing that there was a lot of historical trauma and um, unprocessed emotion that had been driving all of that uh, and this physical dysfunction chronic fatigue syndrome and so on okay and uh, so then I got into recovery when I was about 22 yeah that's, very lucky see, that's, to... that's really young isn't it that's that's amazing yeah it was yeah. I mean it was it was so weird at the time because you know um, on the one hand it was you know the best thing ever because I'd been in such misery for for quite a few years already um but it was kind of weird because all of my contemporaries at the time were you know just having fun enjoying yeah, life yeah. getting on with it you know yeah. um and there was me having to do this incredibly intense you know emotional and psychological work on myself but um as it turns out that's something that suits me and uh I'm sort of endlessly fascinated and, um, you know, no doubt that experience has, has sort of created a huge interest and um, empathy for other people's suffering and desire to understand and support other people on their journey as well, whilst I continue on my own. Exactly. Don't we all? Don't we all? We're all works in, in process, I say, or progress, is it? Like so at 22 did you then start training or did you get into did you go into treatment did you what was the kind of first pointer for you how did you get your initial help yeah um I uh I was lucky I think I think my physical symptoms were so severe that I just couldn't escape the need to work on myself okay. you know there was there was no other way out of it and I used to <clears throat> I used to lie in bed I had this really bad chronic fatigue syndrome and insomnia at the same time and I was just sort Ooh. of it was like being kind of incarcerated in your body or something yeah. Yeah. horrible you know for, for months and indeed years and and I used to lie there and I used to I used to have this picture in my mind that sort of sustained me where I was um I was striding across mountainsides and and at the time I didn't recognize the relevance of that at all but it's something that you know as I've gone on in my journey and 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 nature has sort of played such a big role in it that um that somehow you know I think it was always there and <clears throat> And, um, but to answer your question, I, I uh, you know, I had about a year of 
denial of of just you know waiting for something to change of just complete and utter bafflement and 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 severe depression and yeah. you know and eventually losing hope and of course it was at that point that moment where i became open uh, where i let go because i thought that i i couldn't i couldn't get better and that was it and um uh where suddenly grace could enter and something new could happen and so on a, on a kind of spiritual level i suppose i i started to really engage with the idea of healing and the idea of holding <clears throat> and i got into meditation and yoga and all these practices that started to give me some agency again and and awaken my body and yeah. um and mm. awaken indeed my my emotions but the problem was is that I didn't have any of the practical tools or the psychological understanding for how to cope with any of that stuff. Yeah, so sure. it just precipitated even more distress at the same time as knowing that it, I was kind of moving in the right direction. It was also yeah. you know, really scary. And, yeah. um, and I realised that disorder and that what created a lot of the physical symptoms or contributed to them and uh and so what to resume a normal relationship with food simply by my own efforts and my own willpower uh lucky to encounter a doctor a gp who who was in Fred, we're just losing the connection a bit, actually. So we're losing, sadly, some of what, what you're saying. Oh, we've lost Freddie. Oh, Lou, he's back. I'm back. He's back. I'm he's back. sideways, but he's back. Yeah, let me let me bring myself back. We kind of way. lost you at the at the point that you were talking about the eating disorder and finding the 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 GP, really. Okay. So he, um, he was in recovery himself and he was able to point me towards a place that would actually give me those practical tools to, yeah. get, to, get, to get the behavioral elements that could support me to, to get my health back yeah. and to start to sort of balance out my nervous system a little bit and regulate yeah. and be in a group of other people who are doing the same thing um, get all that identification, reduce all the shame that I had and the complete and utter bafflement about what on earth was going on. And, um, and uh, yeah, so I sort of got into, into recovery that way. And, okay. uh, Did you use the 12 steps? I know that we've got a few people watching. So if anybody wants to ask any questions or comment or say anything or join in, please do because I'm sure Freddie would be very open to any questions that that come up for you as you're watching this but I guess I guess I'm wondering what were the tools that helped you regulate and um, you know did you use a therapist or did you get a therapist early on or somebody helping you what kind of was the jump between that early recovery and mm. identification and was was that mainly 12-step work or was it yeah. something else that you found helpful? Just if anybody's in your position now that might be watching this. Absolutely. Thanks, Lou. So, um, I mean, I was very fortunate to be able to go to uh, a rehabilitation centre where I'd get that practical support around the relationship with food specifically. Yeah. You know, 
Um, and I got the psychoeducation to understand what a normal portion was. I got the emotional support to challenge all of those, you know, really tricky and, and, and demanding thought processes that would keep yeah. telling me that I should not eat so much or that, you know, um, whatever it was. And, and I, and I, so I, I, I had a lot of group therapy uh, yeah. at that time. And yeah. I also did get introduced to the 12 steps and that became uh, the support network that I used sort of moving forwards. But, but I was always interested in other things that would support me as well. And so I was using meditation. Um, although there was a period of time where actually I, I stepped back from it because I was at a stage where I couldn't utilize it. You know, yeah. I would just get trapped in my own thinking rather than it being useful. Yeah. So, so I think that it's good for us to kind of modulate our exposure to some of those techniques according to what our capacity is at the time. Yeah, I agree with um, you totally. Yeah, and really keeping it simple. Yeah. So, so yeah, and and um, what else would I did I do? I I did get a therapist. Yeah. Um, you know, um, continued utilizing that support, and and as you know, Lou, and anyone else listening who's a therapist, you know, it it, it just. <laughs> basically becomes a way of life doesn't it it's it's sort yeah. of you know it's part of our ongoing um education as much as anything to to continue exploring stuff and and that's sort of been the case for me um and then i guess at some point you decided hmm. to or you felt well enough or you got to a point where you felt well enough to train what was what was that shift like for you well, I went off. I went off and sort of adventured for a while. I mean, Did you, because you I like your adventures, don't you? Because I want to come back to the adventure post the Priory in a minute. But I, yeah. I always think of you as being very adventurous. What was your adventure at that that moment? What did you do? Well, I um, I uh, I went and lived in Australia. Actually, did um, you? I didn't know that, that about you. Wow. I was there for two years. It oh was my brilliant. god! Wow, I had such an amazing time. It was just, it was really amazing. But, um, but before that, you know, I think because of the stage I was at, I hadn't entered the world before I got really ill, and so, you know, my parents suggested I might go back into education and finish off my degree that really? I had been trying to do, and and that would have, in many ways, been a sensible thing to do, but. But I just felt like, no, I just want to live. You know, I'm not ready to choose what I'm going to study or anything like that. I've just discovered myself for the first yeah. time in many ways, you know. Amazing. And so much of my healing and so much of that kind of reclaiming myself was about, you know, letting go of, of, of societal and, you know, conventional expectations and actually following my intuition and what my own innate knowing was telling me about what I was interested in and what I was here to do and what my skills were and, and all that sort of thing. So I went off and did music for a while and worked in, you know, record companies and great. studios and stuff like that. And that's what I was doing in Australia. Yeah. But what I realised whilst I was out there was that I was actually 
more interested and more engaged and captivated by the emotional dynamics in the recording studio than you know yeah and and that was that was the point at which i decided okay you know um this is what i seem to be most interested in in life yeah. and, and that's this is what i'm going to do wow and is that when you did the uh, MSc at, uh, in addiction and psychology? Is it at King's? Yeah. It was a London South Bank. University. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 And um, and yeah, so I kind of came back and I and I thought, wow, well, I don't quite know what I'll do. And um, I knew I wanted to do something to help people. I didn't know quite how or what. And and so I um. I just got in touch with the old treatment center where I'd been and I said, can I come and, you know, see what it's like to be a counselor? And they were like, yeah, sure. Come wow. check it out. How brilliant. And they were just so helpful and, and sort of welcoming and they have a real Lovely. tradition there of, of kind of giving you a leg up and, and that's exactly what they did. And yeah. they sort of trained me and I worked there and, and, uh, and then a few years later, that's when we met when I joined you at the private. Okay. 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 And we were there together for a while. And then I remember being um, totally disappointed and saddened by the fact that you were leaving. Um, but, off on another adventure. Yeah, <laughs> off on another adventure. So this was a walking adventure. So, so this is the kind of feels to me like this was the link between then and your journey and learning and training into more of what you're doing now so can you bring not just me but all of us up to speed with how this evolved absolutely thanks so um yeah i whilst living in london working at the priory um i knew that i wasn't really cut out for urban living and you know, I would find myself quite stimulated, my whole nervous system quite stimulated by the urban environment. And, <clears throat> uh, but I was really enjoying working there. And, and I sort of, you know, wanted to, to deepen my experience and all of that. And so I, I didn't want to just sort of disappear. So I, so I decided to kind of stay on, but, but I felt this incredibly deep longing, you know, to be immersed in, in the natural world. And, um, and I remember um, taking some time off over, over the summer. I was at the Priory for about two years. And I took, took some time off over the, after about a year. That's right. And I, and I went walking that. up in Scotland. And, um, and I ended up sort of walking the St Cuthbert's Way, which goes from Melrose down the River Tweed, right on the borders between England and Scotland. And, uh, and through the, these beautiful hills called the Cheviot Hills and then down to, to the, the North Sea um, to across this, this amazing causeway, which, which you can only cross when um, the, uh, the tide is out across to Lindisfarne, which is this holy island where, you know, which is the sort of center of Christianity in, yeah. in yeah, I'm getting goosebumps you talking that. about it yeah and you know it was one of the most beautiful experiences of my life I I felt a sense of um kind of engagement with the world that I hadn't felt for a long time and and when I got to that final destination it had been about a week 
I, I remember just feeling immense grief at having to stop and having to yeah. go back to you know life as usual and life in the city and so on and so um the seed was planted uh, yeah. and uh, and it took a little bit of courage to make the decision to to go for it and um in fact i um you know i remember i went on I went, I went to visit my brother who was in Nicaragua and, um, and uh, whilst I was sitting in a cafe, you know, in the middle of nowhere, I mean, this is, you know, kind of some random traveler's haunt. I just picked up a book off the shelf and it was called um, Pelican in the Wilderness. Uh, and it was a history of recluses, <laughs> mystics and, you know, something else. And, uh, and basically it was this random book all about um, this venerable history of wandering and pilgrimage and kind of nature immersion and, and things over the ages. And it was just like this little gem of a book that gave me a kind of like a sense of context. It's like, no, you know, it may be a bit countercultural, it may be a bit unusual, it may be a bit hard for people to understand why you might want to do this, but but, um, but in fact, there are other people who have wanted to do this and have greatly benefited from it. So go for it. So, so that's when I decided to leave and, and, and I knew I wanted to do what I had done before, but do it, you know, to a much deeper and um, fuller extent. Yeah. And so um, I decided to walk west. That's right. Yeah. From, from uh, Hammersmith up the river <laughs> and um it's amazing how quickly the thames river becomes a place of 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 beauty and uh, wilderness i mean i couldn't believe it. it you know it wasn't even a day before i was in a place of remarkable beauty where did you get to can you remember where that place of beauty was just out of interest oh, i can't but there are various islands yeah that, that have sort of you know, had historical relevance. In fact, there's one where I can't remember what it was called, but it but but there was a recording studio and the stones and people had yeah, come yeah. back in the day. But but as I walked along there, one of the things that I realized is that even though we're in an urban environment, actually the beauty of nature is very, very often yeah. really close yeah. and really accessible. It's just about knowing where to go and, and, and making the effort to kind of search the place out. Yeah. So that was a good lesson. Um, and then I just, I just continued west and I knew I wanted to go west and, and I didn't know where exactly, but, but I just sort of submitted myself to the adventure. Hmm. Where did you end up in the end? I ended up at Land's End. Okay, that's right. And, and when I got to Land's End, I looked out and I saw the Silly Isles and I think, well, I, well I've got to go there. <laughs> and, uh, and actually that was, that was a perfect example of not knowing when to stop. Yeah. <laughs> because I just got really sick on the, uh, on the ferry journey over there and, and then came back and, and, and actually I'd, I'd, I'd done enough. I'd gone far yeah. enough. And, and that was the moment where I needed to integrate the experience. Yeah. And, you know, just to say a little bit about it, 
um, I had gone, I had, I had undertaken that journey um, with a kind of sense of needing to find some kind of internal anchor in myself. And, you know, I had done, as, as you know, I'd done a lot of therapy by that time. I'd done a lot of work on myself. I had great awareness of where some of the origins of my stuff had come from. But I hadn't been able to get to a point where there was enough grounding and enough connection and, and sort of solidity in myself to be able to tolerate the challenge of relationship. Yep. And I wanted to be able to be in relationship and to sustain the terror for me of that, you know, and, um, and the confusion of that. Yeah, yeah. But I, but I just had this sort of knowing that something needed to shift within me before that happened. And, and, um, and I felt really drawn to, to the natural world as a place to support me to do that. And, um, and indeed, you know, that, that happened, uh, you know, something shifted in terms of my internal connection with myself. And it's very hard to articulate exactly what that was. Um, but it was the sense of some kind of anchor okay. that, that went down from within me, actually, it was as if my kind of energetic body was able to open to the support of the earth. Up until that point, and, and, and I think that this is where maybe I can kind of say a little bit about eco-psychology. Yeah, yeah, that would be lovely because it, it's fascinating, I think, for all of us how this came in and yeah. how it became grounded in you to then, yeah, take out and deliver to us. Mm. Well, yes, so up until that point, like I said, the kind of therapeutic modalities I had encountered, um, you know, had, had made such a phenomenal difference to my life and, and really, you know, done what, what was needed. But to go that next piece, something else was needed. And, and you know, I'm so encouraged to see within um, the trauma field now, our understanding of, of, of the somatic dimension yeah. recovery, yeah. you know. Um, but I think that that was still sort of very much coming through at the time, you know, and um, and I tried a bit of body psychotherapy, but somehow it just hadn't landed with me. It hadn't particularly, I'd done a bit of somatic experiencing, but somehow it just hadn't quite sort of, you know, done what I needed it to do. And I think because the nature of my trauma, you know, wasn't something sort of, uh, you know, discrete and specific, you know, it was... It was that deep kind of um, developmental uh, sort of lack yeah. that had been there, yeah. and that had created, um, you know, this kind of perpetual sense of of, of fear, of, of of energetic contraction within my physical body, um, and you know, and the low self-esteem patterns and, uh, and shame, you know, all of that stuff. Yeah. And because it wasn't like one thing that had happened, you know, it was, it was much more attachment based and, and, and I've since discovered, you know, pre-verbal, you know, birth trauma, you know, potentially 
in utero as well and yeah and uh you know it's been a fascinating journey to sort of get to all of that but um but because of that it was like widening the frame from trying to get healing simply through the human relational dimension and actually allowing it to come from the greatest sphere of existence in which we we all live you know yeah and psychology um you know has emerged from from western thought and like all of western thought you know it, it's it's coming from our own cultural paradigm and as we know at the moment we're in a, we're in a paradigm that is that is not able to recognize the um the interdependence of all things yeah. and um and and indeed our dependence upon the living systems of the earth um if we did recognize that we would not be destroying it you know no. and actually undermining our our, our existence at the same yeah. time yeah there's still a, a separation that's there within within our consciousness um, that's enabling us to continue perpetuating uh, essentially this trauma yeah on the very system that we depend upon yeah so um so yes for me there's been an element of actually coming back into relationship with with the natural world and that's not an exclusion of the human world you know the human world is part of the natural world yeah <laughs> um and human relationship is vital and even if i go on a deep um, wilderness experience where I go and have some kind of rite of passage uh, out in the wild and, um, uh, and, and encounter all sorts of mysterious dimensions of myself within the, the canvas of nature. Um, the thing that makes it relevant and uh, translatable into my life is being able to process it process it with other human beings yeah and I land it in the body land it in my understanding of myself and my relationships and where I am in the world and uh, and so you know this is not about kind of trying to replace um the human dimension with 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 some kind of fabled idealistic uh you know nature existence but it's about trying to actually just set the human dimension back into the context of the container of the natural world around it. yeah 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 that makes a lot of sense to me and it makes a lot of sense because you know there is that spiritual element of connectivity to all of our journeys isn't there through our through our wiser I mean, I, you know, there's so many words for it that I was doing a, a podcast last week on non-duality and it's like, what's the self? What's I? What do you mean by that phrase? What do you mean by, uh, and I, I suppose trying to put it into context for me to understand it is that we are connected to all living things, not just human beings. We are held in a container or if you like, or a soup of other things that can balance us or can reground us or can whether it's mother earth or earth or nature or whether it's our dogs or our animals or our tables and chairs 
everything is we have a relationship with everything don't we and I know that you did quite a lot of um, study in indigenous cultures where you know the first thing that they seem to do that 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 a lot of the west don't do is they respect the earth and the planet and the trees and the animals and everything else because we to be healthy maybe we like with all parts of ourselves we need to live in unity with them absolutely you've 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 reminded me of a quote which i i wanted to to bring in um <clears throat> where you know even within the realms of 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 sort of conventional psychology that there are there is very much the acknowledgement you know of, of this loss and of the extraordinary wealth of nature and, and the wilderness and how impoverished we are if we no longer have any connection with it. And um, Jung, for example, wrote, no voices now speak to man from stones, plants and animals, nor does he speak to them believing they can hear. His contact with nature has gone and with it has gone the profound emotional energy that this symbolic connection supplied. So, you know, that's just one recognition. Um, but you're absolutely right when you say that eco-psychology and, you know, I think sort of more recent nature-based um, therapies have been greatly influenced by indigenous knowing and, and practice, which, you know, um, much of it has existed within the context of a reciprocal relationship with the environment yeah. and one which maintains homeostasis you know there's a there's a sort of acknowledgement of of how much can be taken and there's a there's a giving back that happens within that as well mm -hmm. and um one of the things that I learned whilst at Schumacher College which is this amazing place down in Devon near where I live now actually which I always think of as a as a mixture between, you know, Oxford and Hogwarts. It's this sort of <laughs> amazing sort That's of medieval right. place ringed by the river darts with these amazing oak trees all over it. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a lovely place where, where people, you know, are studying this stuff. And, and, and there's a real attempt to bridge um, uh, academia and other ways of knowing and being in the world and you know and the transition that needs to happen and uh, anyway whilst I was there uh, you know one of the things I learned is that many indigenous people you know if you if if, if one were to say so you know who are you rather than saying what I said at the beginning of my talk when you asked me that well I'm a you know, therapist and you know da, 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 and this is my experience you know they will introduce themselves within the context of the place that they live and the tribe that they're part of. Wow. And so there's a completely different sense of identity. It, it's actually linked to the physical place that they come from. And that's why so many indigenous populations are so, amongst other reasons, are so profoundly traumatized is because the ground of their understanding of who they are has been taken away. Yeah. Yeah, they've been displaced. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> and so within eco-psychology and our thinking now, there's a, there's a term for this, this is the ecological self. 
And the more that we can identify with the natural world and the many other beings around us that are not only human, the more that we have a sense of belonging. Yeah. Uh, which, of course, is curative. You yes. Know? The more that we feel a sense of empathy for the world around us and what we're doing to it and the more motivated we are to actually be in relationship rather than it being this exploitative and extractive uh kind of transaction from the natural world you know it's, it's actually a uh a being that we're that we're in relationship with and we respect yeah so so yeah, so that's that's you know I could go off on a rant about that, and I and I, I won't. <laughs> well, I'm just <laughs> wondering. I'm I'm wondering if you know for you, what were some of the benefits of of taking this eco psychology route or the nature route or what you see for your clients? I'm mindful yeah. for our trauma audience and the guys watching, you know, for them what they can do in their own journey and how beneficial seeing things as a collective or dare I even say from a soul identity that we are all interconnected and connected, how it's going to help them and their own traumatized parts, I guess. Yeah, yeah. so I think one of the reasons I was so drawn to this perspective is because for me, it, it fills in a missing piece of the jigsaw puzzle, which is, um, <clears throat> you know, if we're therapists or just healing people and we're trying to heal and we're trying to live an effective and meaningful and useful life, what does it mean if the society that we're attempting to adapt to and we're attempting to help others adapt to is in fact not operating in our best interests. So because of that dysfunction that we've talked yeah. about, that, that separation consciousness that's, that's not aware of the whole of itself and uh, a little bit like a split off part from the individual, yeah. you know, that, that, that we try and just sort of push into the corner or we try and ignore, but is always coming back and, and actually, a part of us knows that and is in distress about that and has all of these coping mechanisms to keep you know at bay and so for me um you know this healing can't actually happen without this other dimension being acknowledged and being started to to be healed um so so that's the first piece because you know for me you know i was confused you know why why can't I just sort of get on with business as usual? You know, why can't I just get a nice job and settle down and, you know, um, sort of, you know, have to have the kids. I mean, they do have kids now, but, you know, <laughs> in, in a way that sort of made sense, perhaps to the more mainstream, you know, um, sort of perspective on life. And, and I think it's because a part of me knew, you know, that there's something out of balance here and what I'd be adapting to wouldn't actually be in the service of the whole yeah and um and so for me it was very healing and very helpful to have that understanding validated and affirmed it's like there's something not right there's something not happening you know there's something that doesn't feel right even though i'm like you know i've got a great understanding of where my stuff comes from i've got a brilliant mindfulness practice you know i'm helping other people i've got a meaningful job you know but there's something 
yeah, there's something not right. And um, so, so that was helpful. And I think there are a lot of us, I think are suffering with that on some level, whether it's conscious or unconscious, there's a sense of dis-ease about the disconnection between what we know is happening on a collective level uh, and the direction that we're going in and you know, our well-being. So, so that's the sort of backdrop piece. On a more kind of practical level, um, we all know it, going for a walk in the woods or going to the park makes us feel better. Yeah. You know, and there are physiological reasons for that. There's microbes that we come into contact with in the soil if we're doing a bit of gardening. Um, you know, there's, there's uh, the quality of the air that we breathe when we're in the forests. Um, and, um, you know, the studies are being done more and more to sort of try and actually identify or what is happening on a kind of practical level here. But um, so there's that physiological response. There's the soothing of the nervous system. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. It's absolutely huge. That hugging and, a tree stuff. I mean, it really does make a difference. It really does, doesn't it? it? Does, and yeah. Walking barefoot. Yeah. Just, just feeling the earth, you know, yeah. underneath your toes. Yeah. And um, and for me, you know, there's a bit of a craze now, isn't there, about wild swimming, which, you know, I love, I love the idea of wild swimming. Like a generation ago, it was just simply called swimming. <laughs> <laughs> That's a sign, you know, yeah. of where we're at as we're collecting. But um, you know. There's something about kind of actually bringing the body into contact with the real world. Yes. That, that, that stimulates some kind of restorative process yeah. in our whole system. And um, <clears throat> so nature-based mindfulness, you know, has become a big thing. And I mean, you only need to open calm now and you're flooded with birdsong or, you know, swooshing waves or whatever it is. And, you know, there are psychoevolutionary reasons for why that is actually impacting us beneficially. Yeah. You know, it's easy to forget that, you know, only 200 years ago, we didn't have electric light. You know, we didn't have um, roads. <laughs> we, yeah. we, 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 we were living in a completely different context. Yeah. And only 10,000 years ago, which in evolutionary terms is a blink of the eye, you know, we were, we were, we were like profoundly and intricately connected with our environment, you know? Yeah. So, so our bodies are hungry for that regulation yeah. because that's what they know. Our circadian rhythms, you know, it's, it's, it's embedded in nature. Yeah. So. Being woken up with the light, going to sleep when it's dark, you know, exactly those simple smells, things. Yeah. You know, yeah and they say that it only takes three nights three days and three nights for us you know if we go into a nature environment and we kind of unplug to to actually start to kind of reconnect with that yeah. deeper knowing yeah that sense of settling in our whole systems yeah, I'm having a lovely memory at the moment of an island in the Philippines that I stayed in, in a, in a very open cabin. It just had nets in the middle of the forest for a couple of weeks, moon, a while ago. But oh my God, that was just the most incredible experience sleeping there every night. I did have a mosquito net though. 
<laughs> nothing, nothing wrong with a bit of yeah, bit of creep, yeah, creep, yeah, a little bit of being looked after. So, Freddie, where now for this? Where now for Ecos? How do you feel it fitting in, both in the general kind of therapy movement, or mm. also in in the kind of trauma field? What, how do you see this developing? Because I get about the collective soup and I get about the, um, the, the macro affecting the micro. And, and, I, and I hear that, especially with everything that's going on in the world now, as we record this um, interview, you know, in, in times of strife and trouble and, you know, we've just overcome COVID well we haven't yet but we we've we've had a world pandemic we've got the climate change we've got the terrible atrocities that we're witnessing in ukraine and our fellows and friends there so the collective soup if you like is very activated all the time and the trauma is being unfortunately you know recycled or or recirculated down and I know that many of us feel probably that we we want to stop what's out there and we want to be in in situations or environments I know that I I yearn for being on top of a mountain and just being able to see green fields but I wonder if we can't do that at the moment and we're just mindful and we're opening up to it and we can get out in nature as much as we can and smell the earth and be in it how we can look after the micro within us because even if we can't do it the other way around maybe maybe we can still attend to those traumatized aspects of ourself and ground ourselves somehow does that make yeah. any sense <laughs> it's a bit of a long ramble but no it makes it makes huge sense and it's a great question a very important one and i just want to say that um you know introducing these bigger themes i understand you know, it's potentially challenging, you know, and triggering. It's, it's, it's a huge question to sit with and start to kind of confront. Um, and, and so like everything else, you know, in our healing journeys, it can only be done according to the capacity that we have to engage and digest and, and integrate. And so we have to put that first and we have to prioritize um, our own uh, our own emotional needs at the time and so you know i'm not suggesting that anyone's kind of you know um tries to run with this before they can walk you know this is about right now just uh getting a sense of 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 um of how supportive the natural world can be you know in our own healing and um, so, I mean, the way that it's developing is um, more and more, I think, you know, um, the, the NHS and the, the kind of support structures and systems that be are recognizing that, that it's a win-win for everybody. It's like, it's good for your physical health. Um, it's not so costly as like, you know, medication or, um, uh, or, or therapy so yeah. helping people get outdoors and just do stuff and engage is is is, is going to become huge you know it's already starting yeah and um you know kind of social prescribing type stuff 
and um, <clears throat> and you know there are there are training uh, organisations sort of growing up around the place. There's one called Natural Academy, which is where I've done my training, which I really love, um, based near Bristol. Though it's sort of branching out, um, and um, you know it's, there's, there's all sorts of ways of accessing this. You don't have to find a, a specifically nature-based psychotherapist or ecotherapist or eco-psychologist or whatever you might call it and you know the names are all a bit interchangeable at the moment because it's such an emergent field that yeah. you know we're just kind of finding our way with it but um uh you know there's there's everything from as i say nature-based mindfulness um and um uh walk and talk type therapy you know just meeting up with someone going for a walk um more and more well, therapists are actually offering that yeah yeah and we're doing it quite a lot and i've seen it a lot in the emdr community because of course walking is another form of bilateral stimulation absolutely absolutely so it does exactly the same as you know you process as you walk that's so fantastic i realize that yeah 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 Yeah. great um, you know, there's, there's sort of wilderness and bushcraft courses, which are sort of reviving all over the place. Um, and there's horticultural therapy, which is becoming bigger and bigger. There's an amazing book by a woman called um, Sue Stewart Smith called The Well-Gardened Mind. She's wow. a psychiatrist, okay. psychotherapist, who's an avid gardener. And her husband is like an amazing, you know, sort of award-winning um, sort of um, garden designer and things. And she writes so beautifully about it. Yeah, and, lovely. You know, goes into a lot of um, studies and so on. Um, and more and more within hospitals and, you know, health contexts, it's trying to be brought back in. Brilliant. Um, but in terms of, you know, if anyone's listening to this who doesn't have the, you know, the, the luck of, of having nature on your doorstep, and I understand that that's the majority of us, um, there's um there's a lot we can do you know even if we're in a high-rise building to actually start orienting towards the natural world and um you know be that positioning ourselves somewhere you know by a window where we have a little bit of a vista or we can see the sky or we can see you know that that green life outside and spending a bit of time you know in a kind of contemplative mindful way yeah if we can um moving into uh, using the senses to connect with nature so you know going up to that that pot plant that you've got you know that sort of sits there neglected by the door or whatever you know and and going and feeling the leaves and just rubbing them through the fingertips and and uh and and just actually really considering what this means there is this thing growing you know without you doing anything apart from just giving it a bit of water every once in a while and there's and if we go out into nature obviously that can that can happen on a on a sort of deeper and more embodied level something else that's really helpful to bear in mind when we're in more of an urban environment is that all the materials that have been used to create those structures man-made structures around us come from the earth yeah everything comes from the earth and so we are surrounded by it 
you know, even if we can't immediately recognize it. Yeah. Another beautiful thing to do is to go out into nature when you do get a chance to go for a walk or, you know, along a roof or wherever it is. And just to notice what you're drawn to. So maybe there's a question that you're mulling over in your mind, there's a bit of a dilemma or something that's really bothering you or, you know, perhaps a, a piece of your own healing that you're working with at that time. And just notice what you feel drawn to, you know, be it a, a stick that's lying in a funny direction across the thing or a sort of little pebble that catches your attention or, you know, um, the flight of a bird across the sky and into that little sort of thicket, you know, and then, and just allowing ourselves to be curious and to actually allow ourselves to be distracted. And it's entering into that soft focus instead of the kind of more, you know, left brain kind of hyper vigilant focus yeah. that we're in so much of the time you know, yeah. at the moment. There's just so much vying for our attention all the time. But if we just step out of that and we just let that soft, soft focus be there, it's like we become available to be touched and affected by the world around us and the environment around us instead of having to be in the driver's seat. Beautiful, beautiful. And even beautiful looking out behind you, you know, and saying, I don't know where the sunset will be or whether it's, it's just so, yeah, stunning to, to be able to witness that. So could you just say, or, or maybe at the end, Freddie, just say how people can get in touch with you and what you're doing now in Devon and a bit more about your retreats and everything else that I know that you're offering. And also because I need to come down still. Yes, you do. Yes. You can, you can, you can come and stay in this very cabin. Amazing. Yes, yeah. please. It's all yours. <laughs> yeah, it looks amazing. <clears throat> so, well, what I'm doing now is um, I've got my conventional practice, which still continues um, in Totnes in South Devon. And, um, <clears throat> and I also work as part of um, Right to Freedom, which is this wonderful organization, which we take recovering addicts up onto Dartmoor. And we have oh, a, wow. a kind of rite of passage immersion experience that, that lasts for a couple of days that's really beautiful oh um, that sounds incredible i didn't know you did that that, that yeah. they sound amazing it's really good I, i'm actually going to put together a um a kind of list of resources and put it up on my website and i'll and i'll ping you a, a link yeah to it. yeah do 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 um, that sounds brilliant. Um, so i'll put their details on there um and um and so you know i live in this place about 15 minutes outside of Totnes, which which is, uh, it's a little valley called the Ashwell Valley and um, we're part of the greater Dart watershed and flow into the Dart River, which is just this magical, magical place. And, um, and it's a very, uh, it's very holding. It's a very sweet landscape around here, which is exactly what I need. And I need it for my, for my whole system to be able to kind of settle and open and, and feel that safety, you know, yeah. within myself. Beautiful. And um, and so we offer retreats here. Um, we offer solo retreats where people can come and stay. Um, they can just do their own thing and kind of immerse in nature if they want to. 
um, they can have a bit of input from me if, if they want to and we can kind of work out you know what their needs are and do some kind of therapeutic journey if that's needed or wanted amazing and um and we're running a um retreat in at the end of april towards the end of april which is called evoking wholeness okay um, amazing got, who's that going to be for it's with a specific focus on helping us work with our avoidant and escapist patterns <laughs> you know because hey you can take you know you can take the drugs out of the addict but but uh, but that impulse may well remain and and so um we're going to be introducing nature-based practices to work with this stuff and and really looking at honoring those escapist parts of ourselves for the yeah. job that they've done yeah and yeah. um developing self-compassion even more deeply than than maybe we've done before and and uh and developing that ecological self so that we can we can feel part of the wider context Sounds and brilliant. you know for me eventually there's a real desire to support people to understand that you know when we've got these mechanisms these coping strategies in place which can be so destructive and so painful but but that underneath them there is a uh, very often incredibly intelligent and sacred almost you know impulse which once we get to that point of recovery where we're able to regain some regulation regain some agency can actually become the most beautiful offering into the world and, and, and I guess that's my sort of message of hope is that, you know, if we do understand ourselves as part of this greater system, then, um, and our own individual dysfunctions as part of the, the dysfunction of the greater system, yeah. Yeah. then our own individual wholeness and our individual wellness can offer into and support the holding of you know this greater system that we're a yeah, part of yeah and i think it's essential i think we've each got a part to play in yeah. that and and can do that and yeah. you know that's what i want is to support people to to be able to step into that place as much as possible yeah i, I i'm totally with you that's my belief system as well maybe in a different way or a different aspect but I, I'm always I remember in my training a long time ago there was a very wise family therapist in America who touched me called Virginia Satir oh yes yeah and she wrote a, it was a great book for anybody listening to this called the new people making and really talking about you know for us and our children and the next generation and those around us whether they be human beings or whether they be animals or whether they be plants or whether they be the birds you know I was thinking of the birds that I feed every day outside mm. you know in my own way that's my attempt to connect to nature because I don't mind what the birds are I don't mind what type of birds they are because they're all they're all God's creatures we're all God's creatures aren't we but <laughs> I, I like to think the more we lighten up our own internal parts and the more 
connected we become to those parts of ourselves that maybe we've disconnected from, the more availability we have to then put out there in the world. Absolutely. Yeah, and, 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 and I'm glad you brought that in, Lou, because you know, what I'm presenting is, again, it's, it's just that one particular lens that, 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 that has made so much sense to me and supported my own journey so much. But I understand that it's different for everyone. And we've each got our orientation. And it's so important to honor and respect that. Yeah. Um, and um, so, yeah, just to, uh, there, there is an interesting piece about that that I found really helpful. I don't know if it's necessary to say this, but for me, introducing the um, the kind of um, nature connection piece um, has got a different flavour to it than than the than the spiritual uh, sort of transcendent spirituality yes, piece. That yes, makes I, yeah, it makes total sense. Great, and 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 it, there was a real turning point for me. Actually, yeah. I didn't describe this. It was a bit later on in the journey where I went from um, uh, kind of knowing that the mindfulness had taken me so far, and it had you know been huge and remains huge. But there was something else that I was yearning for again, and and um, and I came across this book called um, Soulcraft by Bill Plotkin, and in it he describes how our culture the western culture um you know is prime primarily oriented towards the transcendent spiritual yes. impulse yeah it's about union consciousness it's about bliss yes. it's about you know like getting away from it all and feeling great and that's it you know i.e spiritual bypassing yeah and exactly. um <laughs> you know and and that is I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking it. It's like that is. I'm knocking the spiritual bypassing. Don't worry. I'll, I'll, yeah, yeah, I'll come up on that one and go. <laughs> please don't spiritually bypass. Yeah. So, so what what he said is that there's this whole. So if if we see it on a pole, spirituality is on a pole. We've got the upward dimension, which is the union consciousness. Yeah. But we've also got the downward dimension, which is all about kind of embodiment and nature and form rather than thought and, yes and um and and the, the way that we can do that you know is to actually really embrace our individuality and our uniqueness and and our messy animal humanity you know so yeah i love that what was his name bill plotkin bill plot i'm gonna write that down I agree yeah. with Bill. <laughs> He's so a tight dude, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that any other form of connection up personally that doesn't come through the body and mm. isn't embodied doesn't feel like it has the... What's that that I want to... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't have the sort of sustenance. Or no, the, or the substance or the grounding the, or the energetic solidity to me it's all a bit too yeah, yeah. I was yeah. gonna say wishy-washy and then I thought no you best not say that 
<laughs> but yeah, it's very much more in the conceptual and it's not grounded. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we know us trauma survivors, thrivers, that we need to come through the body. We need to ground through the body, however we do that. Mm. It's got to be of body because body mind is where it's at. Yeah. And you found a brilliant and beautiful and path for you that totally works. And I'm sure would work for a lot of other people too. Mm. Yeah. Well, if anyone feels drawn to exploring yeah. it, there's, there's a lot more stuff out there. And I'll just tell you my, my website so that, you know, that information will be there. Yeah. And I'll put it as well under the link. I'll put your website under the link okay. in the Facebook group too. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, it's it's um, www.thehalfdevon.com. Brilliant. And my sort of more conventional counselling website is www.freddyweaver at yahoo.co.uk. And no, Freddy. Sorry. <laughs> no, without it's the Yahoo. Without freddyweaver.co.uk. Yes, I was going to say, yeah, I thought it might be. Listen, it's rolling on a bit. Have the kids gone to, to bed without you tonight or are they waiting up for daddy to finish the... the with the any thing? luck, they shall be fast asleep and I will have a, a nice relaxed evening ahead of me. Oh. It's been such a pleasure. Yeah, it's been lovely. And guys, whoever's watching or listening now, thank you for joining us. Honestly, it, it's great to have you with us. And for those of you watching later... Freddie is in the group, so I'm sure if anybody wants to ask you something, he can check back in maybe later in the week. And Absolutely. yeah, let us know your thoughts. Let us know your feelings about it. We'd be mm. interested to hear what you guys have got to say. Um, in the meantime, Freddie, lovely to see you. Really great to catch up. And I shall be down there in Devon soon. And we'll say goodbye to you guys. Take care. Lots of love. And we'll be back next week. Well, Freddie won't be back, but I will be. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. I hope it helped you in some way. And I really hope to see you back here soon. If you have anything to share on today's experience or podcast, please nip over to the YouTube channel or the Facebook group Trauma Thrivers and let us know there.